0: Welcome to season three of Noise Paloo Zion Podcast. I'm Jasmine Castillo and thank you for joining me in 2023. Today's guest is a guest from the past. Sanja Ja is an anti-oppression consultant who particularly loves helping organizations get diversity inclusion teams off the ground. An ordained pastor with a master's in public policy. We talk about how connecting with our ancestors, even the crummy ones, can equip us for the work of dismantling white supremacy and their brand new book, Rebels, Despots, and Saints. Please give a warm welcome to ever-blessed Shonda Jha.
1: My name is Shonda Ja. I I use they, them pronouns. I am an anti-oppression consultant with an organization called Without Fear Consulting. I'm also the former founder and director of the Oakland Peace Center, and I am an ordained pastor in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ,
0: I am so glad you reached out to me. You're like you're literally <laughs> the first person who's reached out to me since this year, Aww. and I'm so glad because it's um that was something I talked about in in previous interviews with others, saying mm-hmm. if you ever ever have like updates, I want to hear it, I want to share oh, it. I love that. So I'm glad that you were able to share me this. This is lovely. I love it. So things are going well for you <laughs> so far. So yeah, good. you got a, you got a book and everything. <laughs> It's
1: absolutely true. It's, I mean, it's my fifth book, but this is the one that I'm the most excited about. And I didn't see a lot of connections between them. But a colleague of mine was like, no, they're all part of an arc, right? My, my first book was Room at the Table, which is the history of people of color in my denomination, because uh, I'm I'm involved in the church and the church that I'm a part of all of the history books were written as if only white people were a part of our history when you know it was founded in Kentucky in the 1800s that means there were black people at the very first revivals that started that tradition right there of course. yeah so yeah so black and Asian and indigenous and Latinx people have been a part of The history of that church for since its inception, but their stories didn't get lifted up. So that was my first book. And my second book was written during the Obama administration when a lot of people were talking about you know, post-racial America. Mm -hmm. And uh, pre-post-racial America was the book that I wrote that was pointing out the ways in which we ignore race at our own peril and that we need to know each other's stories um, across the diversity of races and cultures in order to create the justice that we need in the world. Um, The third one was transforming communities, which was kind of the case studies of Uh, groups of people who recognized what was wrong in their communities and set about to fix it rather than like big, you know, nonprofits or governments solving the problems, communities coming together uh, to address those issues. And my fourth book was a devotional um, and it was written specifically for people of color, for queer folks, for activists, because most of the religious devotionals that are out there don't pay a lot of attention to us and don't pay a lot of attention to issues of justice. So I didn't see those things as connecting, but one of my friends was like, you named who was left out of the story. You talked. You gave us tools to engage each other across our diversity. You helped us recognize the ways that we could affect change in our communities. You gave us the spiritual support that we needed so we didn't burn out. And now you're helping connect us with our ancestors so that we have the groundedness and the support to keep the work going in the long term. So that's the new book is Rebels, Despots and Saints, the ancestors who free us and the ancestors we need to free.
0: Wow, that is (laughs) powerful. Oh, my gosh. I am so glad you reached out to me in regards to that, because I know Yay. when we talked last year, it hit mm-hmm. it hit a lot of sensitive spots that not sure. many people want to talk about, how yeah. there's such a connection with the people of color community mm-hmm. deep in the roots of religion and how people go to um, congregations and how they're being treated and how it's yeah. the way that Things are being preached and uh, identified from the Bible. Um, you, you just hit a very sensitive, but yet dear to my heart, soft spot that needs to be brought to more attention on. And just the book alone, just the title of it is just empowering for me to just look at. I mean, I. But I want to ask a little bit more in-depth questions in regards sure. to this. So, because you were hitting on about how there's a connection with people of color in the congregation and religion and in dealing with the church um you yourself as a you're you are a minister as well so Mm -hmm. um how do you as a community organizer um how did you get interested in in the ancestors in ancestors
1: yeah you know it's interesting because The place where I do most of my community organizing is Oakland, California, and we have a long legacy of people of color organizing, right? Like the Black Panther Party started here in Oakland and There, We had a strong contingent of the Brown Berets and the American Indian movement and the Asian student movement that not a lot of people know about because people have this image of Asians being the model minority and they don't realize that actually the term Asian American was part of a very diverse community coming together to get, to create political power and to support each other across our very diverse um, cultural backgrounds. And that even that was, so all of those movements emerged around the same time and were informing each other and supporting each other. Even the, uh, there's a book called Hillbilly Revolution that is about working class white people from Appalachia doing community organizing and getting trained by the Black Panther Party. So all of these movements for uh, liberation of the sixties and seventies, they were really strong in Oakland. And so that's the landscape that I've done my organizing for the past 20 years. And what I noticed, especially at the beginning of the movement for black lives was the organizations I saw thriving the most were the ones who were pausing to honor and invoke and bring in the ancestors at the beginning of an action, at the beginning of a vigil, at the beginning of a march, um, even at the beginning of a meeting where they were doing planning, where they remembered who they came from and what those ancestors had gone through as a source of encouragement to know that they were going to be able to affect change as well with the ancestors on their side. I was so moved by that, and I was just struck by how it helped with burnout, right? Because the work of justice, the work on, of being on the front lines, of changing system, of challenging systems of injustice, that's exhausting work, right? And so to be able to recognize who we come from and to experience together um, who's holding us and supporting us. That makes the burden a lot lighter. So for me, that was kind of uh, being inspired by my favorite organizers and how they were tapping into the wisdom of their ancestors really is where this started for me.
0: Wow, wow, thank you because i've I've always struggled with um just the base of religion um mm-hmm. and I think I've talked about that subject here and there throughout the time of my podcast. I was always yeah. on the edge of just indifferent in regards Mm -hmm. to how my childhood kind of has me disconnected in disbelief of a lot of religions because of how it was being treated, how it was being the face of a particular religion, how they treated others. And I've seen in a lot of documentaries, especially during the marches um, of, of our history of people of color, You see that embedment of prayer and acknowledgement and recognition of their ancestors, their Uh spirits um, that are protecting them and guiding them in the direction that they need to go to make the positive change, to make a change, a change for the better for them, for their community, for their children and their future. I have such a disconnection because I was tainted by a lot of the in the neighborhood there was a lot of gangs and there was a lot Mm -hmm. it's almost like going down the street with each block had either a church or a bar Sure, Um, and so just the types of groups of people that would go from one place to the other you see them go to church on sunday and they go into the bar right after or vice versa you know they're coming up from a hangover so i i saw the different types of personalities the different types of uh people involved, the face of religion, that I was, I questioned my own belief. Um, I was treated by people in a very unreligious like Uh behavior um, that made me doubt the higher power uh, a lot because they always said, you know, they would spew out verses and Bible chapters Uh or any other things like that while they're doing something that was completely hypocritical in a sense, mm-hmm. based on the teachings that they're trying to tell me. But with the same turn of the mouth, they are inflicting pain or they're doing something yeah. that should be not be done to a child or to anyone for that matter. So you're probably your book's even hit on the subjects as well. Sure. How do you redirect somebody who is kind of off, who's veered off the path because of such a bad taste, bad childhood memories? I have almost like post-traumatic mm-hmm. in a sense because of the yeah. types of fear that was inflicted upon me from a someone who was supposed to be walking in the in the path of of god or, or yep. whatever religion um so how do you deal, do have you ever dealt with some people who have that type of situation happen to them mm-hmm. and what, what oh, are the steps? absolutely that, what were the kinds of discussions that you had with someone who's Kind of rethinking their path, trying to redirect their journey into a healthier journey towards Mm -hmm. faith or towards believing in themselves and a higher power, Mm -hmm. religion.
1: Yeah, well, and it's interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking about two of my favorite songs. One of them is "Scandalize My Name" by Paul Robeson. Um, He was a radical revolutionary, uh, black actor and musician, and um, and just. Yeah. Uh, brilliant force for justice back in the forties and fifties. And he had this song called scandalize my name. And the last verse is I met my preacher the other day. He, I gave to him my right hand, but as soon as ever my back was turned, he scandalized my name. Do you call that religion? No, no. And I love that because Paul Robeson really chose communism as his religion because his experience of the church was, it was hypocritical. It didn't help people. uh, It perpetuated the oppression of his people. Here in Oakland, there's a band called The Coup. Boots Riley is the lead singer of it. It's a hip hop group. And they have a song called Heaven Tonight. And the one of the the chorus is preacher man wants to save my soul. Don't nobody want to save my life honey, we done lost control. Let's make heaven tonight. And the whole point of the song is religion keeps trying to say, put up with your current conditions. Things will get better in the future. And because they are also a pretty radical, I would say socialist, um, Black power kind of group, their whole point is actually we need to focus on liberation right here and now, right? And I think I don't have a huge stake in convincing people to come back to religion. I think for me, I found a lot of people who want to have a spiritual connection. They just want to make sure it's not within an institution that is hypocritical and harmful. And to me, the best thing about religion is a community of people who support each other, show up for each other, uh, are trying to create a better world. In fact, My understanding of Jesus' teaching isn't he was saying, wait until you die to get heaven. He was actually saying, let's build it here on earth. Even in, you know, the Lord's Prayer, it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The idea is like, we need to create that better world here and now with each other. That's how we experience heaven. So mostly I'm just sympathetic to people who have experienced harm because, People keep getting religion wrong because human beings are completely, you know, consistently capable of causing harm, right? Some people joke that religion is a mess because people are involved in it, right? And people manage to mess up pretty much everything. So I think in some ways, this is why the work around ancestors mattered so much to me, because It allows us to build a community of support that helps us realize we're connected to something bigger than ourselves that helps us show up for each other. Well, and to feel personally fortified, even when the people around us are screwing things up, we have uh, folks from, uh, from the before times who can have our backs. Um, And so for me, it's a, it's a different way of engaging spirituality and, Engaging something bigger than ourselves. That's not to say I discourage people from being involved in religion. I I am. I'm an ordained pastor. I'm really involved in spiritual communities. My family in India are practicing Hindus and are really involved in their faith. I think there are beautiful things that can come out of religion, but not all religious communities are, are created the same. And I think it's really important to find spaces where our full humanity is honored and where people are practicing showing up for each other well in the midst of hard times to me that's the best version of religion
0: yeah i completely agree one of the things that i i think i've even mentioned and it was just like a joke i said i created my own religion i created my own internal like synagogue or church, like yeah. feeling in myself, and I called it jazzism because that's me. Oh. I I I found who I am. I I know what is considered right and wrong. Um, just in ethics, you know, love, love, love. Even if they are putting you down, still love them, but love them from a distance. You know, there's so yes. many things that you can do. You can still love, but you can just, you can love closely, mm-hmm. it, you know, spiritually. You can support them from a distance. I mean, there's, we have friends a thousand miles away, but we still show support. We still show love through email. We, you know, there's so many ways of communication to keep people close because we need, you know, I love Barbara Streisand. I think I've even said it like, um, people who need people are the are the yes. wonderful people of, of the world, and it's true because you know we try to distance ourselves from people. But really, if you find the right group that uh-huh. show the same passion and love and adoration and and support, yeah, um, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, it's it's very hard to find because everybody's in the me myself and I yes. era. You know, back to the answers because I. Uh-huh. Based on this DNA reveal, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to get in contact and closer to my ancestors. Hope you know yeah. whichever one. So, um, why do ancestors matter to people of color when there are so many present issues to deal with? And that was just right. one of my scenarios. I mean, I'm struggling with just to have that connection. I know that there is a higher power.
1: You know, it's interesting because I do think. DNA is such a powerful resource for us. I have a friend who now has a half sister that she didn't know about because her mother had put a child up for adoption when she was a teenager and then went on to have kind of like the traditional family life. She was ashamed of that and never told her uh, her children. And so it was surely because one of my friend's cousins did a DNA test that he learned he had a cousin that he didn't know about and reached out to my friend to be like, Hey, I'm pretty sure this is your half sister. And so she's got a whole new arm of the family and her half sister now knows some of like the stories of the people that she comes from. And that's a huge gift. And, you know, it's why that show finding your roots with Henry Louis Gates is such a big hit because it's amazing. The stuff we can learn about And it also has its limitations because DNA testing can tell us biologically what our, you know, racial background is, but there's a difference between that and being shaped by a culture. In some ways, our ancestors are about how our family systems functioned with each other. They're about the rituals that we engaged in, they're about how we prioritized hospitality or um, our connections to the land. And those aren't necessarily things that show up in a DNA test. And that's why, to me, biological ancestors matter and biological ancestors are very complicated. And also, we have ancestors who aren't necessarily tied to us by DNA, but are tied to us by the spirit. And so, you know, when I talk about Paul Robeson, I have no African-American heritage biologically. Um, I have no right to claim that culture at all. And because the work of Paul Robeson has spoken so much to me, I organize differently. I organize You know, I do community organizing more empathically. I do it with greater awareness of the economic barriers that Black people face and the ways in which our current economic system was designed to hurt poor people. And so I think of him as a movement ancestor. I don't get to claim him culturally. I don't get to claim him biologically. But because I've spent so much time Listening to his wisdom and learning about his story, it has shaped who I am. And he's somebody that I can turn to when I'm stuck, when I'm struggling, when I'm overwhelmed. And so I think of him as a movement ancestor. And I think we can have cultural ancestors. Who aren't biologically related, you know, for me, Mahatma Gandhi or Robert the Bruce, because I'm Indian and Scottish, Um, those are cultural ancestors who I can learn from and claim. And also spiritual ancestors. For me, there are people uh, in the Bible and there are people in the Hindu texts who have lessons to teach me because. They come from spiritual traditions that shape me, and they've gone through hard times and have wisdom to offer. They've experienced enslavement. They've experienced displacement. They've been refugees. They've been treated badly because they were women or because they were trans or because they were from a minority religion. All of those folks have a lot to teach me about how to show up in the world today. And some of those folks are, you know, Middle Eastern from thousands of years ago, we have no blood ties, and we don't actually have cultural ties. But they still have a lot to teach me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you have an open mind in regards to that. Because, of course, people are going to say that you have this woke mentality. It has not to me, I know, I hate throwing that word around. But I. Yeah. If, there, if there's another word to use, please tell me. But I've always felt like, I see my surroundings in reality, in actual Uh color, not just black and white, but all vibrant colors as I get older, more mature and more knowledge and understanding Uh Um, that even though culturally I'm not, I can't claim a particular thing. I feel in some way, spiritually, we are all connected that needs to be addressed more Mm -hmm. um so why would you encourage white people to explore their ancestors as well as a whole yeah you know we should also hit on that subject as well so
1: and it's interesting because I feel like I've been having conversations on this subject for like five years as I've been getting this book ready and I feel like for people of color there are specific questions when they hear I'm uh working on a book about ancestors some of it is what does it mean when i've been disconnected from my ancestors you know through enslavement through genocide through people dying in war and me being a refugee uh all sorts of reasons that people have or i'm christian and the colonized version of christianity i got told me that being connected with my non-christian ancestors was a sin what do i do with that so people of color have very specific questions around ancestors My conversations with white people uh, who are concerned about this subject are usually one of two questions. Uh, Either, but my ancestors were horrible. What do I do with that? Or, yeah, but I'm a mutt. Like I'm a mixture of a whole bunch of different cultures. So I don't really have ancestors. So both of those questions are important. That second question really points to the ways in which the way whiteness has been constructed in this country means the cost of admission is giving up your ancestors. Um, in order to be white, you stop being German or Danish or um, Irish. or. And some of my friends of color are like, white people are white people. We don't really care about that. But actually, before whiteness was created, nobody was white or black or brown. People were the culture that they were from, and that mattered, and it shaped who they were. And losing that for white people, it comes with a whole bunch of perks. White supremacy is a thing, white privilege is a thing. But the cost is no connection to ancestors, no connection to the stories. That other question about what do I do if I have horrible ancestors? Well, the reality is all of us have ancestors who did bad things, and we need to acknowledge that. Also, most of us, the stories of our ancestors who challenged the system often get erased. That's true for some people of color as well as white people. And so I think it's important for us to confront bad ancestors and invite them to be better now that they are uh, on a different plane. But I also think it's important for us to pay attention to the stories that often get hidden about the ways that white people resisted from, you know, uh, The Hillbilly Revolution to the miners' strikes in the 1920s, uh, all the way back to Bacon's Rebellion in 1676, when white indentured servants and black enslaved people came together to fight the plantation owners. And that's part of why white supremacy culture was created, because the people with all the real wealth said, oh, we don't want poor white folks and poor black folks getting together and seeing themselves as aligned. So when we tap into those stories, it helps white folks realize they actually have more in common with people of color than with the 1%. And it reminds them that they come from people who resisted oppression, which is a story that white supremacy tries to take away from white people. So I actually think all of us get served when all of us connect with those ancestor stories.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. This is awesome. Um, did you have anything else that you'd like to add that I that we could definitely share with the listeners as a as an enclosing, or if there's anything that I've missed?
1: No, this is great. I think the only thing I want to mention is please do order rebels despots and saints if you can order it from a local bookstore uh, or get your library to purchase a copy i get really excited about that because i like supporting local communities and i love libraries and i've got a newsletter uh, that i've just launched called ancestors and activism and it comes out every other week and if you'd like to delve into this subject more i'd love for you to subscribe to my free newsletter maybe we can stick the link in the show. notes. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I am already included in your other newsletter that you have. Out, yes. So I am on it. I am definitely going to be on that.
1: Uh, okay. yay.
0: Thank you so much for this. This is awesome. Jasmine, it's so
1: good to reconnect with you. I love yes. this so much. Thank you for having me back. It means a ton.
0: Absolutely. This is a must this is a dire need for anyone who is interested in redirecting themselves and understanding more about their ancestors i'm like i'm so excited because it's like just looking at this i this is going to be a page turner for me I wanted to have this moment to thank each and every guest that was on this podcast, as well as the avid listeners that followed me throughout this journey. And if you want to show your love, please go to Apple or Spotify and do a rating and continue to listen to my podcast on any of the platforms. I do have a new podcast starting April 21st called Hands Off My Podcast and currently distributing on all podcast platforms. And stay tuned for the next upcoming episode of Noise Paloo Zion on Fridays.